Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The House moved a major tax relief bill forward this week, and Idaho's education content standards will soon be up for debate. I'm Logan Finney, filling in for Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello, and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, Representatives Barbara Ehart and Sally Toon join Ruth Brown for a discussion on education content standards and the prospect of all-day kindergarten. Then, Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News joins me to break down the budgets and the debates. But first, the state's number of new coronavirus infections continues to soar, and on Tuesday, Department of Health and Welfare Director Dave Jepson said he believes it's likely that hospitals may be forced back into crisis standards of care. On Thursday, the statewide test positivity rate climbed to a record-breaking 34.1%, meaning that one in every three COVID tests came back positive last week. Public health officials' goal is to keep that positivity rate below 5%. This week at the Capitol, the House advanced a bill that would reduce the amount of income taxes paid in Idaho. If signed into law, House Bill 436 would total around $350 million in one-time rebate checks, while rate reductions would decrease state income tax revenues by about $250 million each year. The bill before you provides $600 million in relief the largest in Idaho's history, 600 million in relief. It helps lower the bans for those who are paying taxes in Idaho. I want you to think about something. It's really hard to cut taxes for somebody who doesn't pay taxes. So we try to skew this that say we should help, 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 but if they're not paying taxes, it's hard to give them a tax relief. So this bill tries to address that also. As we sit here, you know, this came in before almost any committee had gaveled into session. There hasn't been a penny put into education yet this session. There hasn't been a penny put into infrastructure. We have solved no problems as we sit here today. Absolutely nothing. Anything is just aspirational that maybe if there's leftover money after this giant $600 million task, maybe then we'll get around to the schools. Um, but this really bothers me. I feel like we should have rushed in and addressed education. We should have rushed in first thing and addressed bridges not falling down. Uh, I mean, it's just very frustrating that there's a feeling that, well, all of that stuff can wait. First things first, we got to cut $13,000 checks to millionaires. I mean, let's get our priorities straight here, people, right? Um, this is just it's just distressing. I don't know if your mama's all taught you to eat your ice cream before your vegetables, but mine didn't. Uh, and I, I really think that the giant tax cuts that predominantly benefit the wealthy and well-connected most profitable corporations should get to the back of the line after we fund our schools and our bridges. Um, so I would just put that to you and just say that personally I find it just depressing to see the lightning speed and single-mindedness with which this body has super-prioritized this case study in trickle-down economics. Frankly, this is one of my favorite tax bills ever. The favorite tax bill that we've ever done since I've been here because it's $600 million back to the people. I don't care how you slice it, how you call it, whatever, what, what line you want to put it in your budget. It's $600 million back to the people. Part of that's one time. Part of that's ongoing from now in perpetuity. I love that. 
This is a great bill. I am super excited about it. Um, I, I, I can't say enough about how much um, I'm loving this bill. I hope you can support this bill as well. But the fact is, is that we live in the fastest growing state in the United States, or if not, awful close to it. And a lot of that surplus is because of that growth. And we're not taking that money and plowing it back into the infrastructure, one-time expenditures, to support that population. And what we're about to do is cut the revenue stream that is going to allow us to do that into the future. And Mr. Speaker, this kind of reminds me or smells a little bit like the way Congress operates and not the way that the Idaho legislature's operated for the last 15 years that I've been here. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We may find ways, as the legislature goes on, to find a way to reduce property taxes. I really would like to see that. I know there's others in here that rather reduce grocery taxes or food taxes. But for me, property tax is the number one issue. The House voted 57 to 13 to advance the bill to the Senate on Thursday. Representative Fred Wood was the sole Republican to join the 12 Democrats in voting against it. The bill now moves to the Senate. We discussed that proposal and other tax priorities in detail on last week's show. If you missed that conversation or want to watch it again, you can find it online at our website at idahoptv.org slash idahoreports. On Wednesday, the House Judiciary Rules and Administration Committee debated House Bill 443, a proposal that would allow Idaho school districts to buy into the state insurance plan to insure their teachers. It would create a dedicated state fund for the school districts to use to buy into the plan if they chose to do so. I spent 12 years in the public school system, and I would have to tell you that uh, financially, it was extremely difficult. My wife and I had seven children uh, during most of that time. Um, my take-home pay was insufficient. We have a chance to do something for our teachers we've never done before. I am supportive of the idea of uh, increasing the insurance allocation to teachers, making it cheaper for them in their premiums and in their deductions. Wholly on board with that. Uh, I don't have a problem with the, uh, the amounts of, of money on this. I think that you know it, it does cost money to uh, put teachers on a state insurance plan. I have two reservations on this, however. The first reservation is the way this is being done uh, it seems that uh, it is being done to the benefit of one insurance company and to the detriment of others, and it's not a competitive model. That bill passed out of committee and is scheduled for a vote on the House floor next week. In the first week of the session, the House Education Committee introduced two pieces of legislation intended to repeal the state's K-12 education content standards for math, science, and English and replace them with new standards from the State Department of Education. Ruth Brown spoke Friday morning with Representatives Sally Toon and Barbara Ehart about those content standard rewrites and what they would like to see this year in education policy. House Committee members Representatives Sally Toon and Barbara Ehart are here to join me. Uh, thank you for your time this morning, ladies. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, Representative Ehart, I wanted to start with you and then have Representative Toon chime in. There is a $1.9 billion surplus this year. You both sit on the Education Committee. Uh, Representative Ehart, what would you like to see some of that funding used for in reference to education? 
Well, certainly right now there's the discussion um, having to do with our teachers and insurance, and that is uh, probably going to be something that is pushed forward. I certainly know that I have a, a lot of friends who this is an incredibly important topic for them. Um, so, you know, I believe that that is something that um, I probably can and will support. Um, you know, from the moment that we started talking about how we were going to fund our first year teachers, I was definitely bringing up the conversation of those who have been consistently there and in the fight and what we're going to, uh, you know, do for them. I feel like we're trying to make progress in those gaps. I'm certainly uh, open in, in favor of making sure our teachers are able to have enough to to you know, stay in this profession. Um, and I'm sure you'll bring up a, a couple of other things of which we'll uh, discuss, but uh, probably right now the insurance will be the, probably the, it's the biggest thing on my radar right now for our teachers. And Representative Toon? Well, I will reiterate somewhat of what Representative Ehart said. Teachers are, I think, the priority. We have left some gaps in our programs and we need to look at those priorities. Um, the career ladder, as you and I have spoken earlier, we need to do both ends of it, value the teachers at the beginning to keep them in the state as well as uh, fully fund our veteran teachers. But at the same time, there's some gaps in the funding. We've seen that with the multitude of supplemental levies that we've seen and um, we need to look to fund programs that are not there. Summer schools, all day kindergartens in some schools, but that's a local control. And we need to support the programs that they, they've deemed in their district as he Since you mentioned a uh, full day kindergarten, we can move to that. The governor supports full day kindergarten. Uh, the state superintendent recently said she supported optional full-day kindergarten for at-risk kids. Um, do either of you uh, see full-day kindergarten coming to the table this year? Uh, we'll start with Representative Toon. Um, I do. This is a conversation we've heard for the last three years. Um, our state is one of six that really doesn't fund it. Most schools fund it out of federal funds. Uh, they're done by, uh, by title funds and or supplementals. I think at this point, again, it's a local control issue on what we need in our local district. And if they think all day kindergarten is imperative in their community, I think they should have the, the way to do that. The other side of that story, I'm real quick, um, I really do think um, what's good for one student, not just our at risk, is good for all students. Representative Ehart, do you see it coming forward this year? You know, it'll probably come forward this year. I'm not necessarily a, a fan. I run, um, you know, a, a preschool program where our kids go four hours a week. It's, you know, um, um, you know, an, an amazing program. And I, I but, you know, we, we have our parents involved. And if, if there's something that needs to continue to be there for at-risk kids, we certainly should be able to explore that. We have a lot of creative, creative thoughts in how to use the money and essentially to, you know, the biggest factor of a kid's success 
really is the parental involvement. And so how do we empower parents to stay involved with their kids? Because that's really what we're talking about. Ultimately, success down the line. And, you know, is, is that just putting money to kindergarten is not what's going to create that success. So I'm interested in, in results and, um, you know, definitely agree with Representative Toon that it certainly is something that needs to continue to be local. But remember, we're also Idaho. And, you know, in Idaho, there's, we value a lot of things. And the one thing I want to make sure that we, that we keep out there's this idea that you know moms who want to stay home and keep their kids home with them and 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 help to do what they can to remain engaged with them that way i want to make sure that that our idaho moms know we value that too so you know we'll see where this conversation goes and i'm certainly willing to have the conversation but um you know parental involvement that is going to be the key to our success no matter how we um, spell it out no matter what kind of money is is included representative Ehart, do you support funding uh, a full day kindergarten option i wasn't clear uh, I, I believe maybe more along the lines of as has been indicated even possibly by superintendent abara which is you know where we have at-risk kids i've been in some fantastic conversations with Chairman Thane on the Senate side. And again, there's some really creative approaches. And so if we, you know, I'm more for the creative approaches that involves the parents if we're going to include more money for all day kindergarten. I wanna shift the conversation to content standards. Uh, Representative Toon, you served on the Science Standards uh, Committee. Can you walk me through how that process worked and uh, what you see moving forward for content standards in education? Well, standards have been part of a conversation in our school system since the late 1990s. Standards are simply a, a goal for the end of courses. Uh, we used to call them end of course exams and we need to make sure that standards that we use for our classrooms Keep our kids competitive on a global scale. Uh, our society has become so mobile these days that we really, as Representative Ehart said, you know, we have an Idaho way, but we've got to make sure that our Idaho kids are competitive globally. And that's part of our education. As we sat on the standard, they were done by teachers originally in the 2000s and the early 2010s. We rewrote them as we should as teachers. Um, they need to be updated as our world changes. Um, and that conversation needs to involve parents. It needs to be involved the professionals as in the teachers, administrators, um, some post-secondary because that's all part of what we need people to know. And the science standards were rewritten. Uh, we didn't like them in 2017. 2018, we've rewritten them. Uh, a lot of time, teachers were on the committee and the conversations with everybody involved. I mean, it, it was a cross-section, parents, administrators, teachers. And um, then they weren't quite where the legislature wanted them. So then we had a different group review them last year and that's where we're at now. And so um, I really, as I've said earlier at this point, I think we need to go forward. 
We just can't keep putting that off because ultimately at this point, will they ever be adopted? Will they, there is nothing in this world that is perfect. And as a result, we've got to have a direction for our teachers. We can't just say, no, we can't do that. Um, we have to, we're 99% there. You know, we've got a document. We've got to let our education, we're teaching a lot of kids, 300,000 kids. We need to be able to have some direction. And so I'm hopeful that we'll adopt them and not waylay it any further. Representative Ehart, what do you see as the importance of adopting new um, content standards and what are some of the challenges the committee will face? Well, obviously, exactly like Representative Toon said, nothing's ever going to be 100% perfect, nor even if it was to one person, obviously it's not going to be to another. And so um, first, those, and especially our committee members who invested that time, I am so appreciative. And by sheer location, no doubt, and the, the fact that, you know, we're in Idaho Falls, I've had an opportunity to meet more with Representative Marshall, um, you know, just representing again, by sheer location. And so, you know, to be able to uh, better understand and go through, for example, example, the English language arts and to see that, at least in my opinion, something that, um, maybe is it wasn't as clean to be you know brought down to 15 pages and a clean concise that works for that section not, not, not you know the standards for science that that works there i i would like to see it adopted some some hard discussions have been had some people have gone forward in good faith uh to be involved and i agree time to time to adopt them and um there'll be room for continued discussions after all we are the education committee we like to discuss but i feel good about a lot of the work that's been done so i i um am pushing that, that we do what we need to to get these adopted uh, Representative Toon, what do you see as some of the challenges moving forward? Um, I mean, what have you heard from the House about the concerns around the content standards as they are? Well, there's always the concern are, do our local, what's the trickle-down effect into the local school? Uh, when we change standards, that does require our local school district to look at them and make sure curriculum is aligned. The other piece is that we change standards. We also have the ISATs that test in that realm. There has to be, a, right now, that conversation should happen to realign as we adopt them, realign our testing mechanism. But we've got to get them adopted to make those processes happen. And, you know, the, the financing end, they said, oh, you don't, it's quite a bit when you change reading levels. If we've moved, we've moved a standard from third grade to second grade, there's a lot to do with that when you look at where it fits in a curriculum. None of our books are truly aligned to Idaho standards. Teachers are amazing in making it work. And we've got to make sure that our teachers are on board and, and I feel they were part of the process. So they really are. We've just got to make sure that everybody else. Representative Ehart, Representative Toon, thank you so much for your time today. We're going to have to leave it there.
but I do sincerely appreciate your time. Joining me now to discuss all things education related is Kevin Richard from Idaho Education News. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Logan. So let's start with the debate around content standards. There's a couple bills introduced to repeal and replace the state's education content standards. Walk me through this fight and the years of history that's led up to this. There is a lot of history here. Um, academic standards have been a hot issue at the legislature for several years because they, it's tied up in such you know, sensitive catchphrases like common core because the, the English and uh, math standards in Idaho are aligned with the, the larger Common Core movement. It's Idaho's version of Common Core. And then when you get into the science standards, you get into what do these standards say in terms of how will schools address issues such as climate change. So you've got all kinds of hot button topics folded into these standards. And here we go in an election year, we're going to bring up the standards issue again. I, I expect this is going to be a, a pretty long fight. And we've got rewritten content standards. We talked earlier in the show with Representatives Ehart and Toon. Representative mm -hmm. Toon was on one of those rewrite um, committees. So the new standards have been written. What's the, what's the holdup here that's keeping them from being implemented? I think that depends on who you ask. Uh, our Blake Jones wrote a story about this a couple of weeks ago, and there's been a lot of impatience, I think, is a fair term. And I think that's why you've got uh, House, House Education Committee Chairman Lance pushing the legislation that uh, he introduced a few days ago. I think he feels like it's, it's time to move on and get the new standards on, online. And moving to another topic here, the other big discussion that's been happening in the education sphere is this bill on teachers' insurance. I've had a lot of make lawmakers tell me that this is a really big issue, that it's going to be one of the most significant things they do financially for education this year. What does the bill itself actually do? What Governor Little is trying to do, and we saw the first bill addressing this come out of a committee uh, on the House side earlier this week. What he wants to do is try to make it easier for school districts to decide to put employees under the state employee insurance plan and also try to put more money into the employee benefit for, for school workers as opposed to state workers. What, what the governor's office is saying is, look, we're giving school employees about $8,500 worth of an allowance to cover health insurance. State employees get $12,500. So you do all of this, and what they're saying, what the other office is saying, and why they're pushing so hard on this is that they feel like if we do this, this is a pay raise. You know, This really affects take-home pay for school employees, maybe even more than the career ladder affects uh, teacher salaries. So it's a big deal. It's a lot of money. And I think it's you know one of these topics that's been kicking around the legislature for years. It's a little bit like academic standards. Lawmakers have been talking about this for a long time. You have that long discussion. You have this large surplus. So you have this confluence of events. And that's why this is coming up this year. It is a big topic, very big topic. And let's talk a little bit more about that surplus, because everybody has an idea on how to spend the money. You wrote a column this week. Uh, an analysis piece that said, you already know how the session is going to end. Not everybody's going to be happy. Can you uh, walk me through your analysis there? Well, I, I think we got a flavor of that on the House floor on Thursday. I don't know if I've ever heard as many Republicans be as unenthusiastic about cutting taxes. I mean, this $600 million tax cut is numerically the biggest tax cut in state history. And you know, it passed on almost a party line vote 
in the House. I wouldn't imagine much different in the Senate. But you saw a lot of angst about this from Democrats, but also from conservative Republicans saying, okay, well, we can do this, but I'm hearing from constituents about property taxes. I'm hearing from constituents about the grocery tax. When are we going to address that? I think you've got so many legislators with so many distinct and different ideas about what to do with all, all the surplus money that whether it's tax relief or education initiatives, I don't know if ever anybody's going to get everything they want. And speaking of those lists of what people want, earlier this week, uh, way, way back on Monday, Superintendent <laughs> Sherry Ubarra presented her budget to JFAC. What sort of priorities did she lay out? You know, I think in terms of some of her basic priorities, it's not a whole lot different than what the governor laid out a few months later. The numbers are very different, and I think that's a reflection of what's going on with the surplus. You know, back in August, when Superintendent Navarra submitted her budget request, the surplus was only $1.4 billion projected. Now we're at $1.9 billion. So I think that affects the numbers. She has slightly different ideas about what to do with all day kindergarten, how to roll that out. Uh, didn't go nearly as big in terms of addressing employee benefits. So there are definitely some differences between the budgets, but uh, a lot of common ground between the two as well. And what sort of reactions will be at the superintendent's budget or the governor's budget? What sort of reactions are they getting from lawmakers? You know, one of the things I was interested in hearing in JFAC on Monday, uh, Superintendent Navarro was kind of grilled about her proposal on all-day kindergarten. The big difference in her all-day kinder bill is that she really wants to focus the money, not quite as much money, but focus it on at-risk learners. And that drew some pushback from uh, Republican Carl Crabtree, Democrat uh, Janie Ward-Engelking. You know, neither her bill nor Little's is a comprehensive all-day kindergarten for everybody, but her bill does not go quite as far as, as Governor Little's proposal is gonna go, and it doesn't uh, cost quite as much money either. And you say that Governor Little's proposal goes further, but not all the way to full kindergarten. What, what are the distinctions between those? Well, let's talk about the dollar figures first of all. It's about a $7 million gap between Ibarra's plan, which is about $39 million. Little's plan is $46, $47 million. What the governor's plan would do is it would provide more money for early literacy programs for schools to do with what they will, kind of like what they're doing already with $26 million of literacy money. It could be used for all-day kindergarten. The, the dollar figure that they arrived at is designed to cover all-day kindergarten uh, to the extent that they think it might roll out. But schools have to do that. They can do anything with that money under the auspices of trying to improve early literacy. So it doesn't necessarily get you to all-day kindergarten in every school. And under Superintendent Ybarra's proposal, which would fund um, all-day kindergarten for at-risk students, what, what students fall into that at-risk category? she would use the reading scores and use kind of the rolling average on reading scores, which is kind of a calculus that the state has used in the past to try to try to roll out literacy and money. All right, we've got just a minute left. Another issue that has come up this week is this concept of parental rights in education. Uh, this may be a new topic for some folks. Can you break it down for me? Well, you and I both wrote about the the extracurriculars that happened after the Senate Education Committee hearing on Tuesday, uh, a dust up between uh, Brandon Durst, state superintendent's candidate, and one of the co-sponsors of the bill that died in the committee, and Jim Woodward, one of the uh, committee members who voted against it. Parental rights is gonna be another hot button issue this session. Uh, I would expect that we're gonna see more legislation all geared towards 
how do we address parental rights to visit schools, review academic materials, uh, veto power over you know, health procedures in the schools. This issue is not going to go away. All right. Kevin Richard with Idaho Education News, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Logan. Check out the Idaho Reports blog and this week's podcast episode to learn more about the Idaho Department of Corrections budget request to build a new prison and issues around women's incarceration. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you back here next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.